Welcome to Candace History Podcast. My name is Julie Richards and I am this year's Nobleman Scholar at Candace History Society. Over the past month, it has been my pleasure to chat with the 2021 Governor General's History Award Excellence in Teaching shortlist. Listen in as the teachers and I discuss their wonderful and inspiring projects, teaching during the pandemic, and how to keep students engaged in history. Today, I'm speaking with Jackie Cleave. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to the Teaching Candace History Podcast. Let's dive right in. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your classroom? Well, sure. As you say, um, my name is Jackie Cleave. It's delightful to be speaking with you today, Julia. And I'm an elementary school teacher in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I've been at my school, Laura Secord, here since 2002 and spent most of that time teaching a grade four, five, six alternative classroom. What is, what's an alternative classroom? I'm not sure if I've heard that before. Um, so the alternative classroom is a three-year classroom. For the most part, students join my class in grade four and stay with me through to the end of grade six. I de- the ideals of the alternative program are rooted in a community of learners with an emphasis on inquiry learning and peer support between the kids. Oh, interesting. That sounds amazing. It sounds like a great opportunity. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, do you want to tell us more about your project? Um, Sure. Uh, In brief, we set out to make the 94 calls to action arising from the TRC's report more accessible by rewording them in child-friendly language. And what that entailed was a two-year collaboration between 75 students, three classroom teachers, one divisional consultant, and two Indigenous consultants. Um, The first year, we explored the 94 calls and the issues they address through language and art and research, both historical and current. And then with the support of the Canadian Commission for UNESCO and our talented graphic designer, we spent the second year creating a beautiful hard copy book that showcases the incredible work that the kids did on the project. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Was it difficult to coordinate with so many people or was it helpful? Um, It was... it wasn't overly difficult. The um, the team was sort of a group that works together. The two other classroom teachers, Stephanie Jones and Jill Jonette, are part of my, or were at the time part of my grade group, and we worked together often, especially on social studies and science. So we had a very flawless um, working collaboration, and bringing the other consultants in, um, and the we had constant support from Rona Sherman, our principals. So it actually worked fairly smoothly and. It was essential. With 94 calls, there's no way one classroom could have done it all. Yeah, I can imagine it would be a tough ask um, just for one one group to be handling all that. Yeah, for sure. Um, So what inspired you to develop this project? Um, Well, Laura Secord has been part of the Manitoba UNESCO Schools Network for years. And the network had been exploring reconciliation as our theme um, in conjunction with the release of the 94 Calls of Action. And um, Chantel Cotton was the Winnipeg School Division's uh, sustainable educa- or Education for Sustainable Development consultant. And she was also part of our leadership team at the network. Now, Chantel also happens to be friends with Mekon Sinclair, who, in addition to being um, a known Indigenous rights advocate and a professor and writer here in Winnipeg, also happens to be the son of Senator Murray Sinclair, who was the chairperson of the TRC. So Chantal asked Nigan if or when a child-friendly version of the calls was going to be released, and what she found out was that it wasn't happening. So she came to me and she said, we need to do something about this. We can't possibly be part of the solution 
as educators, which is definitely what uh, Senator Sinclair called us to be, if the kids don't understand what the calls are asking us to do. And she asked if I thought my class would be um, able to do it if I was up for the challenge. We knew it was going to be a lot to ask kids that were like 8 to 12 years old to go through the document. Um, but we also knew that if the goal was to make the language accessible to kids, that there was nobody better to do the rewording than kids themselves. So, um, as I mentioned, it was a collaborative effort between the other two classroom teachers who taught four, five, six at my school and Chantel, and then Nigan Sinclair agreed to journey with us and be a guide on our, our explorations. And we also had um, Rochelle Carlisle, who was an Indigenous educator at the school division. And we just plowed in and um, went from there. And ironically, Chantal and I first thought that it would be a simple fall project. We'd be done by winter break, but um, it took on a life of its own. And as I mentioned, it took two years to actually finally complete the whole thing. Yeah, that's so, that's so impressive. And um, yeah, that's amazing um, what, what you've been able to accomplish um, with, with these students. Well, they were amazing. The, the work they did, the commitment they had to the project, it was inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what, what do you think is the greatest impact of your project? Um, that's a good question. I, I think everybody who was part of the project had um, a unique opportunity to take their own steps along the road to reconciliation. When we saw the calls through the eyes of the kids, it was really powerful. And um, all of us learned a lot more about the history and the current legacy of the residential school system. With that knowledge, you know, we were all sort of compelled to act. We couldn't just leave it at that point. So the classes um, launched a, a response that focused on call three, Jordan's principle, that our school has continued to do um, a, a sort of rally around that every year since then. Um, and each year, we also delve into the calls using the book as a, a primary um, decoding source sort of for what the calls wanted and look at how far the country's come and the kids use that as a launching pad to select their reconciliation action for the year. So it sort of has had an ongoing impact in our school and certainly in, in the classrooms of the teachers that were involved. Um, and I know the copies of the book are sort of out there in uh, the country, and I hear from time to time about others that are using the book in their own contexts. So hopefully there's ripples out there that I don't even really know about, but um, for sure it was a powerful step for, for those of us involved. Yeah, I can imagine, and, and likely a very much needed resource um, for teaching this type of history to young children, for sure. Well, absolutely. I mean, the original calls, of course, were complex legal political jargon as they needed to be for their purpose. But um, if we're looking at raising a generation of kids that are under, uh, aware of and understand the implications of colonization and the residential school system, they have to be able to sort of access it more immediately than um, was possible with the original documents. So it's been great that they don't just have to take my word for it, that they can actually read it for themselves in the book. Yeah. And that's so empowering for those students as well to be able to learn for themselves and take, take on um, that, that type of inquiry, that kind of research too. 
For sure. And it was absolutely, I mean, to be part as a, as a student um, in grades four, five, and six, to be part of a, a book that got published and, you know, they can hold it in their hands and stuff. I think that's a, a pretty neat legacy for them as well. Yeah, definitely. That'd be so cool. Um, all right. So how do you, how do you keep your students engaged in history? How do you try to make it relevant? Um, for me, it's sort of about two things. One is to really know the story. So I seek to pass on to my students a love for the stories behind the people and the events that make up our history, looking for both the stories that we tell and even more importantly, for the voices that are missing. I try to make the children understand that the research skills they are learning and I require of them are the keys they need to unlock the mystery of the past and to make it very much um, a sense of an exploration into um, the in part unknown and in part the uh, history that we tell of of um, our our own culture and of course the the wider context of the of the world as well. The other thing I think that's critical is making clear connections between what happened in the past and the world the kids see all around them. As a teacher, my job is mainly to equip the kids with the confidence, the knowledge, and the tools they need to engage meaningfully, positively, and caringly with the world. I need to help them make sense of what they observe and experience, and I believe that knowing the history that brought us here to this point is critical in that process. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and that such an important part of learning history is also seeing those connections in the present, um, because it isn't isn't always just what happened in the past. There's very often very tangible uh, impacts in the present as well. Yeah, I mean, just like we as individuals don't stand alone, the, the events of um, the past and, and their present and the future are, are connected and interrelated. And to really understand them, I think we need to see those connections and seek them out, um, especially the ones that aren't immediately apparent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that's, that's everything that I had. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Did you have any final thoughts that you want to share with us? Um, no, absolutely. Um, I don't really think I have any great thoughts or, or wisdom except to say that, you know, the project was really a collaborative effort without Chantal and Stephanie and Jill and, and Rona and um, Michelle and Nigan, like it, it just couldn't have happened, but mostly it also couldn't have happened with the kids and they stuck with it and they were um, so so committed to it. I remember it was the end of the year of the year we were writing the book and we were literally down to the last week of school. And at that time you tend to sort of be a little more relaxed in the things that you're doing and the kids are sort of ready to check out. And I remember we had about a half an hour before recess one day and I said to the kids, well, what do you think? Should we just take some time and, and clean out your desks or, or have a break from working or what do you think we should do? And one of my students said, well, Jackie, there's another three calls that we haven't done our peer class edit of, so why don't we get that done and then we'll have the calls done. And I was just blown away to think that of all the things they could have chosen to do that afternoon on a hot summer June, that they were committed enough to the project that I didn't have to force them to drag themselves through the last three calls, that it was their priority. So um, it was the kids that brought life to the project and it was just an honor to be part of it that's amazing Um, they sound they sound so impressive um they sound like amazing kids they are (laughs) they're all graduates now i don't see them anymore (laughs) 
But they have a legacy of kids still in my room that uh, are pretty amazing students. That's, that's so great to hear. 